Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Van Mergy. Welcome to the Plan B podcast. It's produced by Upstream, www.thinkupstream.net, with the participation of the Government of Canada. You know, today we're going to zoom out, go to about 30,000 feet to put this pandemic into a bit of perspective around ideas of race and origin myths and facts and how those things can all get pretty dark if you're not careful with the way you see them. Um, someone, it seems, needs to be blamed when things go wrong. Once we in, enter the idea of fear, we, just as human beings, can't help trying to figure out who did this to me. You know, you ever notice when someone gets a cold and everybody in the family has to identify who gave them the cold? And I'm always like, who cares who gave you the cold? How do you know? What are you, an epimediologist? Just, you, you have a cold. Well, it's human nature. We're trying to identify for survival's sake so that we don't get it again. So far, I've not managed to avoid the virus known, uh, the coronavirus known as a cold. But this one is an entirely different story. The COVID-19 has just turned the entire world upside down. Something that has happened before in world history, and we're going to talk about that in a, a second. David Leonard is the Senior Director of Six Degrees at the Institute for Canadian Citizenship, and he's going to be my guest for this uh, Plan B podcast. How are you? I'm doing well, Ralph. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Um, you know, there's these things that have been going on that started almost immediately with this pandemic, um, and some of them very racialized ideas about uh, uh, Donald Trump saying things about uh, the, the the Kung flu and the Chinese virus. Uh, and I was listening to a woman uh, from the Chinese Canadian community a few uh, days ago on the radio. And she was saying that what the experience that she's been getting reported to her from Chinese Canadians who are wearing a surgical mask, for instance, as they walk down the street is that people sometimes are literally swearing at them. And other times you can tell that they, They've been told you are the disease, you're carrying this disease, you are the disease. Talk to me a bit about how we get there. Well, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it's every day you see these stories in the news, you know, and you see violence and you see uh, racism and you see division. And, you know, so at, at the ICC, we do a lot of work around belonging and inclusion. And, you know, the big part of uh, what we see all the time is, is, as you say, people are looking for scapegoats and people are looking for the other. And when there's an opportunity uh, or a crisis, uh, the people who are bent on dividing us will work to divide us even further. And I think the people who are working to keep us together will try and work to keep us together. So, you know, I look at my social media feed and I look at the news and you see, you know, racist attack, you see um, really negative language. You know, Trump's a good example, as you say, the Kung flu, the Wuhan virus, the Chinese virus. Um, and this language is powerful. You know, the way that we talk about, uh, in this case, disease, but war or any other crisis, economic, social, otherwise, uh, the way the language is really important. And using language like this, it's designed to divide people. It's designed to show people an other. And in this case, you know, in the early stages, Chinese people. But, you know, in lots of cases of history, it's been, you know, Jews or Muslims or, you know, people of African descent or people from all sorts of, uh, of cultural or, or economic backgrounds. And this is the kind of, the kind of problem that, that you see no matter what the crisis is. And so the, the challenge for us, I think, is to use this sort of language to, um, to sort of, uh, I guess, 
defang some of these uh, some of the people who are trying to to divide us. You know, you use language like Chinese virus or Wuhan virus or the Spanish flu, uh, and it immediately puts people in us versus them. And I think uh, in a in a country like Canada, especially uh, where you know pluralism is is the order of the day and inclusion is what we what we aim for, I think it's really important that we turn towards each other, not away from each other, and that we see that you know the the you know, sort of maybe cliched now uh, sentiment that we're all in this together um, really is something we have to turn to now. Mike, did you want to interrupt? Did you think you should turn off his video? Let's turn off your video. All right. We'll get full bandwidth. You, you can you see Ralph him. and uh, he doesn't. I can uh... see clearly now. <laughs> and you all can... right. You get to see. In fact, actually, this picture that you're seeing right now is taken exactly. So it's almost mm -hmm. like we're in the same spot. <laughs> all right. We ready to keep going? Yeah. So let's let's zoom out to the Spanish flu uh, and what that pandemic brought to us in terms of that otherness and that misinformation. Was that was that in play back then as well? Well, I mean, misinformation is is an interesting element to this because you know the same forces that try and divide us will use whatever means they can to try and sow that sort of dissent. So you know, you see it happening with Chinese virus. You know, the Spanish flu, the so-called Spanish flu, you know, the 1918, you know, pandemic uh, wasn't Spanish at all. It's just that uh, Spain, because they were neutral in the war, were the only ones reporting it. So because all the news reports about this epidemic around the world were coming out of Spain, um, people started calling it the Spanish flu, not because they had more of it, but because they were the ones reporting it. And and I, that's not necessarily misinformation in that the, Sp the Spanish were actually reporting the real news, but the misinformation is by naming it the Spanish flu. Um, then it starts to be associated with Spanish people. And if that association then triggers this sense of, as you say, blame or worry or otherness, then it, it it's this kind of language that's powerful. And I think there's, you know, currently now there's a lot of um, guidelines from the WHO on how we name these sorts of pandemics. You know, you name things by their year or by their class. You know, it's a coronavirus or it's COVID or it's a 1918. Um, and avoiding naming things based on the the cultural or, or geographical origin, because it just, again, is an, is, can, can become a tool for people to, to say, well, if this was a Chinese virus, then maybe it's with Chinese people. And then you start to see violence and you start to see othering and you start to see people uh, pushing away from each other. And yet there's that desire to return to that piece about the other. So you end up with the next conversation, wet markets. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a bit about what what's that what that is bringing to this conversation. I mean, I feel it. I feel like this is all sort of the same. It, it, in a way, it's a lot of the same kinds of conversations. You know, when people are looking for, um, you know, a global pandemic is a global pandemic. It's global. It affects all of us. I think we have a choice to make in how we deal with it, and we have a choice to make in how we talk about. Uh, this. I mean, the, a, a disease doesn't know borders. A disease doesn't know cultures. A disease uh, really just knows how to thrive uh, in the best circumstances possible. So, you know, wet market, um, a term that we use in the West to describe, you know, a market in China uh, is largely just us saying, you know, this is a market that is different. You know, again, the other, you know, you're taking this idea of, um, you know, Chinese culture and, and you know, these sort of uh, stereotypes about the sorts of food that people eat, the sorts of meat that people eat, the sorts of way that people shop. And, and I think it, it's so easy to slip from trying to diagnose the, 
the source of this uh, virus, which is still uh, fairly uncertain, uh, and uh, triggering a lot of uh, racist stereotypes, triggering a lot of people who will then use that, take advantage of that, and drive us apart. Yeah, and also, I mean, uh, to be to be fair to everybody, uh, factory farming and uh, conditions in farms, um, the transmission of disease in those kinds of ways, uh, bovine diseases that have happened, uh, mad cow, you know, these things happen in different places at different scales. So um, that kind of fix, and I've heard perfectly intelligent people saying, well, you know, if they didn't have those wet markets, we wouldn't have this flu. So why do they have to eat pangolins that eat bats? And why is this happening? So, you know, we stir the cauldron. I want to zoom back even more to the bubonic plague and some of the cultural pieces that we should learn mm -hmm. from in there. Talk to me a bit about that. Well, I mean, you know, the plague, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, you know, I'm not an expert historian, but I mean, I certainly know that this was a, you know, a disease that ravaged uh, Europe and, and went around the world world and and as with any crisis there's uh you know the scapegoating isn't new you know and here we are in in 2020 and we're scapegoating um you know chinese people but then of course the scapegoating goes beyond that you know uh into all asian people and then all minorities and then all immigrants and you're seeing you know things like donald trump looking to make the border restrictions uh indefinite and you're seeing these sort of this this chance of taking people and saying someone different did this and so we have to keep someone different away so you know in the plague we saw um a lot of differences between um you know, the Jews living in Europe um, and the rest of Europe. And a lot of those differences um, were completely, uh, you know, uh, false and completely based in pre-existing stereotypes about, you know, who gave us this disease. And maybe it was those people that are different. And, and again, I mean, it wasn't true then either, you know, it was caused by ticks and rats and all that and, or fleas and rats. And, um, but still the people are scapegoated. Yeah. So even today, it's interesting that there is a rise in anti-Semitism and there are conspiracy theories that are flying around as well as, you know, the, the Jewish conspiracy to take over the world through this. And, you know, you have to wonder, how do you counter this? Like, what is a message that can get through to people who could be vulnerable to these kinds of uh, tropes and, uh, you know, slights and slanders and libels? Like, how, how do you get around it? I mean, this is this is where the, the disinformation work comes in. You know, the work that we're doing at the ICC, trying to dispel some of this, is that disinformation is really important. Uh, our main constituents are new and recent Canadian citizens, and that's a group that, you know, in the polling that we've done, have been um, felt unfairly targeted by um, negative information and have felt un, um, un you know an outsized a number of um, racist incidents and feel uh, a lot more unstable in terms of um, their ability to participate in Canadian life. And that's sort of what we're trying to uh, work against, that, that sense of instability. And I think a big part of that is, um, is seeing these, um, these attempts to, to misinform or to scapegoat or to other, um, recognizing for, for what they are and dispelling them. So speak up against, against these, these sorts of, um, these sorts of racist attacks or these sorts of tropes. Um, and a big part of that is I think arming the citizens with the tools to understand where information comes from. So I don't think, you know, in this day and age with the internet, I mean, the, day, the days of how travel, uh, information traveled around in the bubonic plague is much different than how information travels around in 2020. And the spread of fake news and the fact that, you know, the algorithms of the websites that people use every day are designed to privilege the information that is the most sensational. 
uh, and that's what gets shared and that's what gets passed around the most. Um, we can't stop it. The, the, you know, the tap is on and you can put your, your hands in the water all you like, but the water's going to run through. So all we can really do is, um, help citizens, help people understand, you know, the kinds of news sources they're reading, where they're getting their information, what the bias of the, of the spread of the information might be, uh, so they can recognize and reject it. And that's, that's the big, a big thing right now is, is, we can add regulations to try and stop the flow of this information, but the reality is um, it, it's inevitable that it's going to get through. So we have to work together to to reinforce the idea that inclusion is a participatory thing and citizenship is not a noun, it's a verb. You know, it's how you participate in your community. It's what you think about your neighbor. It's how we um, how we see each other, you know, and I think I think a crisis like like corona, uh, coronavirus, COVID-19 is um, it's an opportunity to make a choice. You know, and I think I think depending on the government and the regulation and the people, all of us get to choose what we take out of this this reset, if, if we can call it that. Um, and for me, I mean, I'm hoping that that the beautiful you know efforts to be together that we've seen from people right now, you know, the community parties and the reaching out to neighbors and all that sort of um, really warm. Uh, you know, togetherness is what I'm hoping we can take away from this because the risk is if we don't take that away, then we take away the division and we take away um, the idea that we must stay apart instead of stand together. And that's something that, um, that I worry about. And I think the more we can arm citizens and the more we can um, arm citizens, the more we can equip citizens to recognize and reject disinformation, racist tropes, that sort of thing, I think the better off we'll all be. Well, you know, I love it, and you know, sign me up. But on the other hand, we have a, a guy running for the leadership of the progress of the Conservative Party of Canada, who who associates the fact that the uh, the senior medical officer in Canada is Asian, that she's probably working for the Chinese and not for Canada, and mm-hmm. he doesn't even get kicked out of his own party. So, yeah. you know, he's obviously speaking to a certain uh, proportion of the of the population. Uh, and, you know, I just wonder about the balance that we have within ourselves between our open heart and our dark heart. And that depending on our sense of scarcity, I remember the first few days of the pandemic and watching people run up and down the uh, the aisles of the supermarket to get toilet paper. You know, toilet paper had become the new Bitcoin. <laughs> Everybody needed to get it. Uh, and I just thought, you know, we're, we're three days away from the veneer being stripped away that we're <laughs> wonderful people. And this pandemic can, if it went really the wrong way in terms of mass death, uh, we would have seen a lot darker days, I think. Uh, so are you optimistic as we face crises like this, but also others that will be coming with climate change and disease being migrating over borders? Uh, will, will we have the wherewithal? Do we have the infrastructure as Canadians to do more than say, we're really nice, don't worry, we're really nice. Because, you know, I, I've lived here every year except the first two years of my life where I lived, uh, I was born in Africa. And for me, there are days where people are really nice and often I, I try to be nice, uh, but there are days where me or other people are not so nice uh, given the circumstances that they're in, the amount of stress that they're under. So as as somebody who, who guides a citizenship initiative, how do you help us to be to mediate and, and, and do remedial work on making sure that we're actually prepared to have a reserve within ourselves to do something good instead of something bad when these things happen. 
you know, the open heart and the dark heart is such a, such a question we all have to reckon with in times of crisis. And as you say, with the climate crisis and, you know, these overlapping crises and, and of course the climate crisis also creates um, a lot of uh, movement of people, you know, so then you end up with things like a refugee crisis uh, and how we respond to these, these, um, these world events, I think is really the test of our character. So, you know, you talk about a, a you know, certain, you know, uh, a politician who has, you know, views about, you know, Dr. Teresa Tam. And I think um, I was really encouraged, I guess, to your question, you know, am I optimistic? Yes, I am optimistic. Um, I was really encouraged to see the sheer volume of backlash when that politician said what he said um, and to see the media pick the story up. And I think there's a responsibility we all have. Um, if if we accept that the the people who lead with their dark heart are a minority, then that means that the people who don't are a majority. I think we have to be urgent about the critical moment that we're in because we are in a crisis and that means choices. But I think we also have to maintain that optimi optimism that, that there is uh, a path out of this and that path has to be together. So I mean, I think what we, what I do to keep my optimism is, is you know, there's a lot of work to be done, and I take a lot of um, joy out of the the togetherness. But it's also, you know, on the harder side of things, we've got to advocate for policy. We've got to work, you know, in our local communities to change the world around us. We've got to work with our politicians to change policies. We have to work with corporate leaders to change their corporate bylaws. We have to, you know, diversify boards. We have to really entrench the idea that inclusion is a good thing into the world that we're building. Because ultimately, as I said earlier, this is a reset and and we have choices to make. And so for me, I'm optimistic that we can make the choices to do better policy, to lead with compassion, to, um, to pressure people that have decision-making power to actually build the sort of structures that we need to take care of uh, people, whether they're longtime Canadians, whether they're New Canadians, whether they're recent arrivals, whether they've been here for thousands and thousands of years, um, these are the sort of questions I think we have to we have to ask the people uh, in power, and I think we have to be um, strong in ourselves to do that. You know, I think I think there's a lot of opportunity. You know, at the ICC, um, we're constantly advocating for uh, policy towards inclusion, but we're also working with you know community of hundreds of thousands of new Canadians to check in and say, well, how are you feeling? Okay. How's it going? Uh, what can we do for you? What are we hearing from you? And those kinds of initiatives, um, you know, how we stand together when we're being told to keep distance, um, that's what gives me hope and that's what gives me optimism. I sometimes wonder though, can we really legislate an open heart? <laughs> you know, someone uh, I read on social media uh, a little while back, there was some horrible um, policy coming out of uh, a Southern state and someone frustratedly tweeted, um, I think it's now impossible to teach these people how to be kind. Uh, and I don't think we can legislate an open heart, but I think we can build the sort of structures that reduce uh, the anxieties and the fears that come with crisis. You know, when, when the, um, you know, Syrian refugees, uh, you know, came into Europe, um, there was uh, initially an outpouring in places like Germany of, of support and that, and that, outpouring, you know, turned into a bit of backlash a couple of years later. And a lot of that was because there wasn't the structures in place in Germany at that point to process those refugees at the pace they needed to be processed. And it wasn't that people were necessarily um, having backlash against Syrians or North Africans. It was their backlash against chaos and backlash against what they felt was a situation that was out of control. So I think what you can legislate is an understanding that we can build resilience into our 
governmental structures or corporate structures or social structures so that when a crisis happens like this, we're able to come together and the anxiety is lessened um, and the fear is lessened. And with less anxiety and less fear, then you get less um, instinct to scapegoat and less instinct, I think, to um, go after someone who you might perceive as being the other. So when we have the new beginning after this great pause that we're in, um, what will citizenship look like to you? And I don't mean just in the most ideal sense, even with the scars and bruises of what this has done, uh, with the idea that the people who have been paid some of the lowest wages to care for some of our most precious people, the elderly and and the like, uh, who are racialized people in almost all cases. So what do, what what are we going to look like when we're talking about this with a vaccine as part of our lives? Well, you know, it's, I mean, I, I wish I had a crystal ball to be able to say exactly what it's going to be like, but I can tell you what I hope it's going to be like. Uh, I think we're seeing uh, a lot of structural inequities being exposed by coronavirus and COVID. We're seeing um, not it's not creating necessarily more division uh, in terms of um, you know racialized people, but it is it is showing us you know whether it's care how we care for the elderly in our society or you know how we deal with um, you know foreign trained health professionals and their ability to work uh, in hospital settings rather than you know driving a taxi. Um, you know we're seeing a lot of these structural problems um, exposed by this crisis, and I think those. Um, those are all also opportunities. You know, we're mm-hmm. we're we're fast tracking health professionals into hospital settings who are foreign trained uh, to help deal with the crisis. And the question for me is, well, why not? Or the question for the ICC as well is, why not? Why not before? You know, if we if they're good enough for us now, why aren't they good enough for us for, for uh, before? And um, in terms of of you know what what citizenship will look like uh citizenship to us as i said is a verb it's it's how we participate in our community it's how we deal with our neighbor it's also things like voting and 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 all the sort of traditional you know democratic pieces of it but ideally that's going to look more open it's going to look more participatory and it's going to help us really understand that we are all in fact in this together and some of those structural inequities that we have built in whether it's you know, foreign trained doctors or, you know, racialized people or indigenous people. Um, this is a chance to to hopefully heal some of those divides and, and move forward stronger. What does six degrees stand for in your work? What is that? Well, six degrees is the global forum for inclusion. So what we do is we go around the world, um, although right now we're doing it virtually, of course, uh, and we convene conversations about citizenship, uh, active citizenship and belonging. Uh, it comes from six degrees of separation, this idea that we're all connected by six degrees to each other, uh, essentially that it's a small world and, uh, you know, we're all, we're all uh, in this circle together. Uh, and so we've been working for, for four years with this, with this program to essentially interrogate a lot of the big questions around citizenship and belonging and democracy and what these sort of things mean. Um, we focus a lot on language, the power of language. Uh, and then we also focus a lot on building a kind of coalition, uh, to deal with um, a coalition to deal with change. Hmm. Light stuff. 
<laughs> well, I mean, you know, I mean, the thing is, Ralph, we've got a like, guy, David, this. what are you doing today? Oh, you know, six degree <laughs> stuff. Don't worry. Yeah. About it. It's all good. Yeah. We're just, we're just trying to solve the world's problems. I mean, <laughs> the, you know, but I think, I think a big part of it, and I think this comes from, this comes from, you know, your question about, about how to stay optimistic, you know, it's one thing to sit around and lay out all the problems that we, that the world has. And I think we all under, you know, we understand there's lots and we can sit here all day and with a litany of, of issues in the world. But um, the question is who's standing up to them. And so, you know, we have an international coalition of, of organizations and individuals and corporate entities and government entities who are putting their hands up and saying, we want to be part of the new solution. We want to be part of an inclusive world. And so that, although we deal with the biggest issues facing the world today, uh, it, we're dealing with them from a place of positive change making and of advocacy and coalition building. And that's a really um, optimistic place to be uh, because you're standing up and saying, you know, we're going to stand together instead of standing apart. Well, as my grandmother would have said, God love you for that. <laughs> David, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Ralph, I appreciate it having me on. Thanks. Thanks. David Leonard is the Senior Director of Six Degrees at the Institute for Canadian Citizenship. I'm Ralph Benmergi. That's been the Plan B podcast for you and anyone you care to share this with. If you want more information about this kind of work, go to thinkupstream.net. And uh, you'll find out lots of information about how to make sure you deal with problems before they become worse instead of waiting for them to be awful. And uh, this podcast was also made possible because of the support of the Government of Canada. Take care of each other, and uh, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.